It's RTT. It's that time again for your weekly dosage. That's right. Number the rogue, the, t- the table to talk. 58, 58. Take your medicine. <laughs> Take your medicine. That's right. right. Uh, yeah, so um, you're still not quite settled in there in, in South Carolina. We have here. all our stuff in the house. Okay, good. So that's you're good. not you're not in the house. I'm not in the house. Okay. Nope. Yeah. I, I left. I gotta I gotta dump some things and pick up some things and do some work and yeah. So I'm away. So maybe next week. Yeah, maybe next week. We should yeah. have internet by then. We were actually supposed to have it yesterday, but the equipment they gave me didn't work, so they're okay. someone out. Hmm. Uh, so, and I'm here, uh, in, uh, in Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, likely to be interrupted. Uh, I have two dogs. Uh, my, our daughter's dog has joined our dog and they're, they're, they're litter mates actually. So they're very comfortable with each other, but they bark and play and, you know, so that might happen. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. Um, and, uh, we are living in interesting times for sure. Um, I was, uh, I wanted to kind of, um, kind of dive in and talk about some, uh, maybe some, I don't know, some kind of uh, theological, biblical kind of thing, and then sort of roll into, uh, a bit of the times we're living in. Um, and, uh, so, and, and I was looking at it's first Thessalonians four, uh, I think it's basically the whole chapter I was looking at, but, um, one of the, the ideas I kind of wanted to play with as we jump in is, uh, he starts out, uh, and this is the ESV, I think, finally then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing that you do so more and more. Uh, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And um, I think for me, it's it sounds uh, somewhat ordinary and somewhat, you know, familiar maybe, uh, but the, the instruction to live in order to please God, and it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Um, I think it's I think that it's possible, I'm just going to throw this out here, there, that uh, coming out maybe of a more legalistic culture warrior time in the church, not that those things don't exist still, uh, and I'm into a more grace-oriented uh, you know, time in the church, which is good, that the idea that how I live can please God or more or less uh, and that my sanctification is what God wants maybe sometimes gets lost in the shuffle uh, you know justified by God's grace through faith can't do anything to earn it all of that um, and I'm still one who sins and uh, images marred and touched by the fall. And so to have humility and grace for other people, all that is true. And it's sometimes maybe I forget, but then it matters. It, then it matters how I, I, how I live that I can 
more or less please God. So I don't know. Is that is that a, a is that a, a juxtaposition? Is that am I am I the only one making that connection, or is that what do you think of that um, that idea? Well, um, I think the conversation for me goes back to well, one example could be uh, Job, the life of Job, and you know, jo- we all are under original sin, and yet. I don't think anyone would argue, especially from God's uh, voice in the book of Job, that Job lived a life that was pleasing. Um, He honored God with his sacrifices. Uh, He raised his children in a way that honored God. It doesn't mean he didn't have sin, but he, he, he thought that his daily life mattered. And I would say he lived a life pleasing to God. Now, God sets him in his creaturely place towards the end of the book, but that doesn't mean God wasn't pleased with Job actually over against his friends. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's true. I think um, it, it, it really somewhat depends a little on temperament. Some people are really beaten down and weighted down and then they use the doctrine of uh, depravity or original sin to stay that way and don't think they can live a life that's pleasing to God at all. So maybe they give up um, or they resent God or themselves and they uh, jettison the whole thing. Um, and then other people may just assume they're always pleasing to God, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I I, I think, uh, yeah, the Job, the Job comparison is interesting. I hadn't thought of that where, you know, Job is described as blameless, but Job then somewhat translates that into, but so you kind of owe me, God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you owe me better than this. Yeah. Like I've earned something. And God's when he puts him in his place is basically saying, no, you haven't earned anything. Mm-hmm. You know, all you've gotten is from my hand by grace. And that's how it always works. Um, and I did. So that's an interesting thing. It's not like pleasing God is earning anything or walking in such a way as to please God gets us something. Uh, it's, I, I feel like that perhaps we end like grace is the end justification and grace is sort of the end of the story when really it's maybe the end of one story in the beginning of another, like from there now I, I am called to lead a life that really, that really matters, that has impact. That's, that is, can please God and can uh, reflect sanctification, which is growing in Christlikeness is growing in holiness. Um, is that maybe. Yeah, I um, like that. I like that. I think that's, when you err, I think the conversation between discipleship and evangelism, you know, do we get people saved? Uh, does the mission of the church to get people saved? Is the mission of the church to grow people in Christ's likeness? And the, convers- the answer is yes to both, but it's often like most things, we're going to err on one side or the other. And so when the church is aired only on evangelism and justification by faith, then it does feel like, well, that is the end of the conversation. It's over. And it's a done deal. Even for the person that's saved, it's like, okay, right. done deal. That's it. Whereas I think that's true. It's actually the beginning of the story. It is the end of something, but it's the beginning of uh, the rest of the story, uh, which is a much longer timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a good, um, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, you and I both know someone uh, who we traveled with who, um, I won't say that, uh, I won't say their, her name, but... Um, 
that what she said a lot was, I'm just so broken in a way that, okay, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But in a way that's almost like, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no, like there's, there's no responsibility. Like I, um, you know what I'm saying? Where yes, I'm broken and yet I'm called to live a less broken life tomorrow than I am today. Uh, and God is there to transform and to empower. Uh, it's almost as if I grace be- can become a crutch mm-hmm. for my brokenness that, oh, well, it's the way it is, you know, nothing I can do about it. I'm broken. Good thing for you know, God's got grace for me and loves me anyway. Um, and God does have grace for me and loves me anyway, but he in love calls me to something bigger else, healing, wholeness, um, transformation, yeah, this all of that. Would, this would be uh, in the reformed, uh, so to speak, community, the um, antinomian position, the anti-law position, which is can become an abuse of grace. I'm saved. I'm, I'm made right so I can do whatever I want essentially is, can be an abuse of that, um, doctrine. Right. Where, yeah, I got, I got God on a technicality. Yeah. He gave me his grace. You can't take it back. So, uh, that, and I, you know, I don't think you ever get God on a, on a technicality. It's not how it works. Um, and so that is an interest. I mean, for me, then everything matters. Let me me throw this at you real quick. To me, some of this comes down to the conversation. I'm not sure we've had identity conversations and transformation conversations in the church. Um, Well, I think we've missed a piece. I'll say it like that. When we talk about identity, like, and transformation, often the conversation is something like this. This is who you are. You know, you're son and daughter of God, you're loved by God, you're chosen, you're set free. All of that is true. Therefore, um, find, like, believe those things to be true in your inner being and then live from those places. I'm not saying that's not wrong. Uh, I'm not saying it's not right. But there's, when Paul says here to live your, live a life, like you have agency and I'm coupling this conversation with this uh, C.S. Lewis uh, idea and the book of Proverbs that you can actually choose your way into new identities, into new ways of living. It's not just I've got to believe this to be true about me and then live it out. It's part of the other equation is I'm the daily choices I make every day are going to shape my identity and they're going to shape my character. What do you think about? Yeah. I think that's right. There's it's there's a both and to it, an already and a not yet. That I'm 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 a new create creature, but I'm not completely transformed, and I have sort of a responsibility to work that out, to live that out, to practice spiritual rhythms and habits, to confess, to forgive. Like I, it matters whether I forgive people. In other words. It matters whether I confess my sin. Yes, I'm saved by grace, but that still matters and it will impact me going forward. It'll impact my sanctification. It matters whether I serve, give, jump in. All of this stuff really matters. And all of that is part of transformation, part of sanctification, part of mission, 
part of impact. It, it, it all sort of is part of one package. And, you know, that I'm saved by grace for something. And I have a responsibility. I have agency. It matters how I live that out. And it matters for other people too. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat thinking of all of this in the context of the, of the times we're in, of the, uh, the incident with George Floyd in Minneapolis with the protests, some of which are violent, which all with a conversation that's happening um, where uh, it's, uh, I'm still sort of processing what all of that means uh, for my heart and what it means to think about racism and race and injustice uh, as a, as a white church person in, in America. Uh, and spoiler alert, if you're not watching on YouTube, Chad's, Chad and I are white. You know, probably you're wondering. <laughs> We're also male. I don't know if they so, got that from the accent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so, like, what, what, how should I... Uh, how should I exercise my agency? What does that look like? What responsibility do I have to God to live in a way that pleases God? What are some of the trap doors to that? Uh, and I, it's so fraught. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't even like that word, but it's so... Um, there's, tr there's a lot of trapdoors. You're walking through a field of landmines, mostly landmines. Yeah. Right. So even to bring this up in the podcast and talk about it is, you know, you leave yourself open to accusation and uh, probably rightly so. I mean, the, you know, we will probably, I'll probably say something that is, that displays some level of ignorance or uh, lack of understanding um, and that's all. And here's the thing: that's always true, of course. Um, but in this area, there's uh, it's so conflicted uh, that we're all sort of wrestling with it together. Uh, that the stakes the stakes seem higher. Uh, and so, you know, how do I live out my responsibility? How do we, as a community, live out our responsibility uh, in this area? You know, what does it mean to, yeah. You know, later in and for Celestine's Ford, it's really talking about in, in the area of sexuality, but you know, not I have an obligation not to harm my neighbor. Mm -hmm. At the end of the chapter, it's you know, we're called to live a, a, a quiet life that is admirable to the lost people around me. What does that look like? Um, and I, I mean, I will just say I somewhat struggle with that in a world in which a lot of righteousness displays of righteousness seem to me to be performative at least or partly performative uh Say more about that well i mean what people say on social media um and i just think there's I, I, i'm gonna sound it's just gonna sound bad but i think I mean, just all I'm saying is our motives are mixed mm -hmm. in 
perhaps even walking in a protest or uh, what we post on social media or how, how even how we respond to it is there's a sense in which I want you to think I'm a good person. Uh-huh. And especially in the area of race in America, I don't want you to think I'm a racist. Uh, and we tend to think in this polarized way, binary way, where you're either a racist or you're not a racist. Uh, and that, um, which I think we, I probably care less if you think I have other sin in our, in our culture. I think that's probably true for most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this motive to say, well, no, I'm not. Look, no, I'm not. Uh, I'll post this. And it might be good to post that. And maybe you're not, but there's, there's something about that that kind of throws up a red flag for me. Like, am I doing this to please God? Am I doing this for sanctification? Am I doing this to please men? Am I doing this to look like one of the good people? And it, this really could be totally my issue, uh, but it is something I think about um, when am, am I doing, we always do good things for mixed reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I don't have any, I'm not even talking about, I'm not saying don't, don't march. Uh, don't be a part of a, a protest. Uh, I mean, I likely will here later this week, but don't post. I'm not saying any of that really. I'm just, I think in our society, there is a, and I don't think it's only in the area of race, but I think race in the area of race, there's a lot of this where I need you to look at me and think you're one of the good guys. And so that's the motivation that I'm going to post this or like that or whatever. Well, here's why I think, I don't think, here's why I think that's a very important piece of the conversation to go forward for equality and justice. Because it's, we're not just, I'm, I don't think you're just talking conceptually and I don't think it's theoretical and I don't just think it's calling uh, BS on, on some of, oh, I, I'm not a bad guy, I'm a good guy, look at me. Um, therefore, that's not true. I think there was, a, there was a book written a while ago by a professor from Talbot School of Theology, I think it was, and, and it's called I Told Me So, and it's a book on self-deception. And one of the things he says in the opening chapters is there's a cultural self-deception. And when a, a cultural uh, virtue, say, is very high, like, um, you know, maybe in the 70s or 80s, it wasn't a, a, a virtue to, you know, or a vice to be a racist or not be a racist. And so people were racist and n- not a lot of people thought much of it, but they thought a lot about if you drank alcohol or played cards on Sunday. Yeah. And so people were quick to say, I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. Right. Right. And, but I don't, and I don't do this, but who cares if I'm a racist? But now when this has become a really high ethic in the cultural conversation, people want to deceive themselves. I want to deceive myself. So I want to be really quick to say, no, 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 I don't do that grotesque, awful, terrible thing uh, that, that everybody would judge. And I think the key, key point you're making is until I can get to the point where I'm included in the conversation as opposed to blaming 
my ancestors or blaming this cultural group or blaming that cultural group. The quiet life that Paul's talking about is a transformed life. And until I'm transformed, I can't really impact anyone in their transformation. And we can't really impact any system in the system's transformation as purified hearts lead to purified systems. Mm -hmm. You can reform systems and you should, um, but it's purified hearts that lead to purified systems. And so that's the way forward for me. Like we, it's, that's a start at least, I think. Yeah, I I think that's right. That's part of my discomfort. It isn't that, so to decry systemic or structural racism is easy and right because we can all see it or we should be able to see how that plays out. Uh, but I sometimes feel like it sounds like, yes, repenting of other people's sins because I'm not really including myself in, you know, we can talk about, you know, redlining or we can talk about the police department. Well, I'm not in real estate or development or I'm not a cop. I should be able to talk about those things and that's we ought to seek change to the system. And there's a number of things that I think in the culture of policing uh, in America that I think are are problematic and are problems and cause harm. Uh, And I think that's fine. I I think to seek in our free democratic society where we have a voice to, to exercise that voice, to seek change to the system is good. But I sometimes feel like it can be a replacement for this, this question. What does racism look like in my heart today? Mm -hmm. Uh, What am I blind to? Uh, What, uh, you know, is some of this performative? And if it is, what am I trying to, like, what am I up to? Like, what am I trying to cover up? What am I not comfortable with? Why do I need you to think this of me uh, in this way? And I think we can have both the conversations. Uh, and then the first one talking about it, it, I, I can talk about the system or policing or whatever with some measure of grace, if I'm including my own heart in the conversation. Yeah. And if not, I can just get really angry and then not, not actually be helpful, not actually. And that's kind of the, the burn it all down, tear it all down sort of mindset comes out of just an anger at decades and centuries of injustice. And yet that actually might not actually help people that live in those communities. It might make me feel better. So, but why? I think that's to me a question that I'm kind of struggling with where what is helpful? Like what reforms to the systems, what changes to the systems? Well, and I think that's, I I don't, two thoughts. I don't know what it's like to live under consistent injustice for decades or centuries. So I don't know what I would do in that situation if I would be a, I need to use physical or violent force to get my voice heard. I don't know if I'd be that person. So I'm not speaking in any judgment on that. But but conceptually, violence can only beget violence. That's all it can ever do. Um, it doesn't matter if it's from protesters or from the police. Violence can only beget violence. That's all. Okay. We see that from the Bible. That's all it really does. And this is another point that Paul's making is the 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 paradigm paradigmatic way of living as a disciple is the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
and it's to self-sacrifice. It's to lay down one's life. It's not to take by force. And power is used to serve and to die to self and to serve others. So that's one one thought um, around that conversation. Um, is is that I just think you know I don't know what I would do in that situation. But yeah, totally. I, I think that's right. I, I think I, it's, it, I, it's understandable. It may not be helpful. Um, and then, so what, what is helpful? How do we move forward? Uh, I, I do think too. So along with that, um, this idea of sanctification of growing in grace of transformed living. Um, I think, t- um, I tend to think, and I don't know that uh, I'm alone in this, but I tend to think of, I think of myself pretty individualistically and, you know, what communal responsibility as a part of the church, as a part of white people in the church, you know, what part of identifying with that identity and what has happened in the name of that identity connects to me. And that's been something I've always, uh, sometimes struggled with where uh, because a lot of stuff gets then posted and and sent to me that, you know, you, you know, you white Christian are the child of the people who, who lynched, uh, you know, people of color. Uh, And in a sense, that's true. Uh, I mean, I'm white and I'm in the church and even though it's 30, 40, 50 years later, you know, it, there is some level of identification where other people might include me in that history where I think of myself, I have nothing to do with that. And that's another part of, you know, what does it mean to be in the community of faith, the history of that community, how that history has had impact? What part of that do I do anything with? And my instinct is to say, well, that has nothing to do with me. Um, and I think there's a way in which it has something to do with me that might be helpful for me and for other people to grow. And there's a way in which, um, there's a way in which I can have that association and have it not be helpful. Either I'm just totally denying it. Like that has nothing to do with me or this sort of total capitulation. I'm a bad person. We're all bad people. And then again, I have no responsibility to do anything with that. Right. You know, like I'm totally, uh, since I'm white and Christian in the church, I'm horrible. Well, that doesn't help anybody either. That doesn't help, right? It doesn't help my sanctification. It's just sort of a capitulation to, it's kind of back to yes, grace and justification. But then now how do we move forward uh, out of those two poles? And so I don't really even know what I'm saying. I just feel that's sort of the tension I feel in this moment. Uh, and sort of how do I respond to that as a white person in the church in a way that is helpful, constructive, reflects God's community, helps people of faith, helps people outside. I just think it's, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure that out, out loud. Have you ever read blue, like blue, like jazz, Donald Miller? Yeah, I think so. But it was quite a while ago. 
Yeah, I think when he first came out, it was a little controversial. I do not think it would be that controversial today, theologically. And I'm not with him everywhere in that book, but it was a it's a sit down read. It's a really quick read. One of the fascinating stories he tells, they went to they, him and his friends went to some super liberal progressive school in the uh, Northwest that they would they would shut down the campus once a year and the teachers and everybody would just do drugs and, and together and celebrate this festival. Anyways, he, he tells a story that he um, wanted to put together a confession booth uh, for that festival. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And it said confession booth on it and people stumbled in and they said, you know, so what is this like? Was this like where I confess my sins to you? And he said, no, actually, you know, uh, I'm, I don't know his words. I'm paraphrasing, you know, we're, we wanted to confess our sins to you. I wanted to confess the sins of, you know, a history of Christianity and power, power abuse and things like that. Again, not that it's, it's only been bad, but there are things that we've been connected to in history and that we as a collective have been connected to in history. And um, it, it, it was really transformative, I think, and impactful for the community to hear the people that came in to say, oh, you're, you're confessing your part in this. Um, and that's maybe what you're wrestling with. That's what, I'm, ta- that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly the idea, because I can see ways in which that can go wrong on both sides, where yeah. part of me says, well, I wasn't even alive then. And I think that's horrible. So I have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of one pole. And the other pole is, ah, oh, so horrible. I'm horrible. I, I have nothing. I, I have nothing to say about it other than I'm just horrible. <laughs> well, that uh, either way, I'm not doing anything to grow, to be transformed, to help somebody else. I'm not actually owning anything in a productive way. In one hand, I'm disavowing and the other hand i'm so own over owning it that i'm not i'm crushed by it and i'm not doing anything by it so what's the middle look like where i can acknowledge okay when you when a person of color looks at me they see something based on all of this history and it really doesn't even matter i mean i wasn't alive then and i do think it's horrible but that doesn't fully matter there's still some interaction on their side that i have an obligation to try to figure out in love for them, even if it seems disconnected from me. Well, what do you uh, think about, you know, the middle? And I would say maybe for all of this, is, this could be an oversimplification, but a closed heart versus an open heart, a, vul- a vulnerable heart. Like I can understand the angered response of violence and, you know, burn everything down. But in some senses, it, that comes from a closed place. And I can understand the, mm-hmm. I'm horrible, we're horrible, or that wasn't me. But in, in some senses, that's a close. It, it, it's easy to do that because it, it lacks vulnerability. Right. Vulnerability says it puts yourself out there. And that's what I think is, is really, really hard for people to do. And so I want to put, I want to make a statement that actually doesn't put me out there at all. I want to do an act that actually doesn't put me out there at all because if I'm vulnerable, it leaves me. It leaves me really open to being wounded. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that's the that's the the sweet spot that's hard to get to and hard to stay in. Because I do feel like whoever you are, you have an. We can. It's easy to have a narrative that absolves me, even if I'm outraged at the injustice. If I'm young, I'm saying to older people, 
you've given us this, you know, highly in, unjust world. Right. When, I mean, okay, I'm older, but I wasn't alive during, I mean, I, I didn't participate in any of the old things or the old system that's being decried. And that may or may not be true. It's just too easy to point at other people and say, you know, you need to, uh, that, uh, that's, and that's partly the, what is vulnerable and what is, I'm either closing myself off and saying problems, not that big, or I'm basically decrying other people's sins. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not really including myself in it on a real basis, real heart basis. And I don't, I think that's, I think that's for white people in the church right now. That's a sort of a healthy struggle to be in that I don't, I don't want to own it performatively uh, in a way that's not really changing me. And I'm kind of actually decrying other people's sins. I'm including myself theoretically, but not really, or I don't want to, you know, over own it in a way that I'm just horrible and I can never say anything or do anything because then I'm not part of sanctification, making anything better, loving my neighbor. Uh, I'm kind of giving my agency up or, you know, I'm just, that has nothing to do with me. You're not even talking to me. You're not talking about me. I'm totally uninvolved with all of that. Uh, Which again, leaves me outside of, growth, sanctification, living life to please God. What does that mean in my own heart? Uh, and I don't know that, um, you know, what does it, what does racism look like in my own heart? I don't know that I really totally have the answer fully. Uh, and I don't know that that's horrible to kind of struggle with that and kind of leave that question open because I think that is where self-inspection, self-awareness, humility sort of lies. Uh, and probably it's a good habit with every other area of sinfulness. What does it look like when I abuse power? Because we all have some power over people, whether we're parents or whatever. What does that look like in my life? And I can still work against the systemic expression of those. I just don't want to do that in place of the own, my own stuff. And I'm afraid sometimes the synthetic, the burn it all down thing sometimes is a way to not look at my own heart and it might not even be, be helpful Mm -hmm. uh, in the long run in these communities. I mean, one example is in Minneapolis, they, you know, they, the city council passed uh, a law, uh, I think, or a resolution, whatever that, you know, kind of the abolish the police, uh, and I think they're going to reform the department in some way and, um, defund, abolish, whatever. Uh, and I think there's ways in which to do that, that will actually be helpful for the community. And there's ways in which to do that, that I on the outside might feel good about, but it actually doesn't end up helping people in the community because yeah. people in the community actually need good policing. So you got to figure both out and, you know, to say, you know, that somehow the hard truth is in the middle of, uh, we need to change the system. I might feel like burning the system down makes me feel better, but then 
that's a system that other people are subject to. And if it actually ends up hurting them, then I've done a wrong thing. Even, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I think, so this is all, it's so difficult because it's a lot of it is performative and it's hard for us to totally get away. And that's another way of, you know, is anything I'm doing performative? I can do it publicly and not have it be performative or I can have, it be, I think that's, I don't really know the, that we'll ever know fully the extent at which, because our hearts are deceitful, right? And we don't understand them. So that's sort of the str- wrestling with, and then in that, in this context, what does it look like to be sanctified? What does it look like to grow? Uh, and I just think it's tricky. Hmm. So I, I don't know. Uh, and, I don't, uh, I don't, it seems, it seems vulnerable even to say all of that. Uh, yeah. cause and even in saying all of that, I'm thinking, well, I hope people hear this the right way. I hope people, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking through two, uh, I know we're close on, on time here, but I'm thinking through two conversations and one of them involves, you know, I mostly talk to white people at my church. Like when I preach, there's mostly white people in the congregation. When at Calvary, there's mostly white people in the con- congregation. So there's that, there's that conversation. And, you know, sometimes I, uh, when you find these passages about uh, husbands and wives in the New Testament, often the wives will take the husband's passages and say, hey, you got to do this. And the husbands will take the wives' passages. And one thing we often say is like, well, that's not, that's not your mail. Mm-hmm. You know, read your own mail. Mm-hmm. And so there's that conversation within the white community of Christians, of evangelicalism, like, hey, how do we read our mail? And like, what do we need to do? But then there's the other conversation of, and it, this one would be mostly listening and mostly question asking and mostly trying to build uh, reconciling bridges of, to the black community of like, help, uh, help me understand, help us understand. And how can we work together? What can we do? What do you think we can do? And instead of me, like you're saying, like, hey, well, we got to let's 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 advocate for this reform of defunding the police and whatever else. I don't know if that's the best way forward. So um, I need to think through those things as we go. But then to me, it's listening to the, the black community and saying, help us understand, help me understand. Yeah. And I think that's, it's very simple, but it's true. And I think that what complicates it is in this particular area, we're prone to being defensive because being a racist is one of the worst things you can be in some, in, in, in polite society. And not that that's, you know, not that it shouldn't be that, but because of that, I'm much less likely to admit it probably. Right, the self-deception thing. Like, like that's huge. I'm much less likely to admit it because that's one. Of I'm the not racist. Well, okay, I'm not a racist. Is probably not a helpful way to think. <laughs> how does racism impact my heart? I mean, how does it come out of my heart? How do my thinking? My, and then what do I then need to actually repent of? What is the sanctification process? If it's God's will for me to be sanctified. What does that look like in my own heart? as it deals with brothers and sisters of a different color. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of, maybe we should probably just leave it right there. I mean, that's sort of the question. Uh, I don't have an answer, but I think that's, um, that's a question probably that we can all wrestle with uh, and fruitfully, I would hope. Um, and so I'm going to continue uh, yeah. that, that wrestling uh, as we go forward. Uh, so we'll leave it there. Um, continue to wrestle uh, in God's grace uh, and towards the life he has for you. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.